Today's episode is brought to you by CNT Publishing. CNT Publishing has a bit of everything for every maker. Quilting, sewing, cosplay, embroidery books and products, and so much more. On their podcast, Behind the Seams, CNT bring on their world-class authors who share their creative journeys and crafty tips and tricks to inspire. Explore CNT Publishing and their podcast by visiting online at ctpub.com. Take 25% off anything you fancy using code CRAFTY25. Thank you so much, CNT Publishing. And now, here's the show. To episode 196 of the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals where you can strengthen your creative business, stay up to date on industry news, and build connections within our supportive trade association. Check it out at craftindustryalliance.org. Today on the show, we're talking about creating a community space for crafters with my guest, Lee Metcalf. Lee is the owner of Top Stitch Studio and Lounge in Atlanta, Georgia, a fabric and sewing studio that was formerly an in-person physical space at Pont City Market. She's also the author of London Stitch and Knit, a craft lover's guide to London's fabric, knitting, and haberdashery shops. And she's also the host of the online social community, Top Stitch Makers. Lee Metcalf, welcome. Oh, Abby, thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you. And I wanted to start with um, how you came to know the scene, the crafting scene in London so well that you were able to write a whole book about all the crafty places to visit while in London. Oh, my gosh. I don't even know that I came to know it so well, um, but I will tell you how that came about. Um, so I'm, I'm obviously not British. You might be able to tell from my accent. Um, I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. but. Um, We did live in London for six years. We moved there for my husband's work. And when we went there, I loved to sew and I enjoyed sewing at the time, but I did not know how to sew clothes yet. Um, So I was inspired and interested in learning how to sew clothes. And of course, in London, uh, for those of you who may not know, some of you may know, but um, London has a huge, wonderful, you know, buzzy craft scene. And so many wonderful fabric shops and knitting shops also, of course. And um, while I was there, I wanted to learn how to sew clothes. And the place that was closest to me was Sew Over It. Um, So when I went there for the first time, it felt like magic to me. Um, On the walls there were the words that said, um, just keep sewing in really big blueprint. Um, And it also said, uh, sewing soothes the soul or something like that. Like it also said, or something like that. And to me, it just was like, this is my place. Right when I walked in, um, there were like beautiful colored buttons and these glass jars on mirrored tables. And Lisa Comfort, the owner, was like a magic fairy fluttering around and was like this sewing goddess. Um, So basically, it was sort of like, I love this place. And there were so many places like that there that were so inspiring to me and I was excited about. And at that time, I was also kind of just writing my own blog for fun and visiting shops, taking pictures of them and kind of dabbling here and there and writing about them just just for fun, really. Um, But at some point, I reached out to Molly Makes, the craft magazine there uh, that's very popular. Um, And I just had the idea to, you know, write about a few shops possibly for them, just kind of on a whim. I I wasn't really expecting to hear anything back, but the editor wrote me back and she said she loved some of the things she saw on my blog and she'd be happy to discuss some ideas. So we discussed some ideas. I wrote my first article for them and I was so excited because it was sort of my happy place anyway to go to shops, to think about them, to learn about who owned them, to learn about what they sell and um, to write about them uh, for myself. So it just felt like not work to be doing this work. 
so I loved doing that. But then after some time, you know, I wrote for Molly Makes a Handful of Articles and for a few other magazines. And I was telling my husband that I really wanted to write more. Like, I just wanted to do this. I want to do this all the time. Um, I did not have a visa to work there, but I could freelance and kind of dabble on the side. But I really wanted to do it more. And my husband said, well, you'll figure it out. I'm like, oh, what do you mean you'll figure it out? I don't want to just write for my blog, even though that's fun. I wanted to do it, you know, for work and potential paycheck, right? <laughs> um, so I just started thinking about this more and I was kind of browsing through some of my favorite crafty books. Some of them are kind of like guides, but I was looking at the Little Book Rooms books and they have a lot of city guides. And one of my favorites is Amsterdam Made by Hand. And their books are like these little six by six inch, beautiful books, very heavy on photos. And I was kind of browsing a stack of those. And I was like, oh, London really needs a guide to uh, fabric and knitting shops. That would be awesome. And then I was like, ding, ding, ding. Um, <laughs> that sounds like a great idea I'd like to pursue. Um, so I just decided to think about that more and to kind of seriously pursue that. And at first I was like, well, that's kind of crazy. Um, who am I to write a book? I've never written a book. I don't know how to write a book. Um, but I just kind of kept making notes and gathering ideas until it blossomed into a thing. And then once I sort of had that idea, I presented it to some publishers. Um, and um, I sent it to a handful and for each publisher, I just knew that they always get so many proposals. So I really wanted mine to stand out in some way. And um, what I did for mine was not only print everything on like really big, colorful paper and make everything nice and tidy, but I created like these this felt envelope and I hand embroidered the publisher's name in gold. And then I sealed it with a blanket stitch all the way around. And the envelope was huge. It was like 18 by something. So I really wanted to try to send something that couldn't be ignored. Um, and I think, you know, a few people have reached out to me in, over the last couple of years. I mean, I've only written one book, but a handful of people have reached out to me over the years asking me any tips for, you know, reaching out to publishers. And each one that wrote me back, they all commented on the way it was presented. So in my mind, I feel like if there's any way you can make your like literal package stand out, um, against all the others that show up on the desk. That is one thing that you could do. Um, but anyway, um, the fabric shops were so inspiring and the people there, like all the bloggers and the, you know, um, crafty, you know, people, they're all very social and fun and they do all kinds of fun things together. Um, so I just felt really inspired there and enjoyed the process of writing that book. And yeah, it had 45 shops in it. And I had three months to write the book. I was very stressed <laughs> about this because, like I said, I felt like I had no idea what I was doing. But I just kept having to put one foot in front of the other and sort of meet my deadlines to turn into the editor. Um, I did all the pictures for the book. I did the cover for the book. And the cover that I submitted with my proposal was the cover they ended up keeping. They just liked it a lot. And yeah, it just worked out and it was a really fun experience and very rewarding for me. Is that a book that um, needs to be updated over time? I mean, I imagine with COVID, unfortunately, oh, yeah. some shops have closed and, and probably some new shops have opened. So um, do you think you'll have the opportunity to, I mean, you're not in England anymore, you're back in Georgia, but um, will you have the opportunity to update it or will somebody update it? I'm not sure if somebody there will update it with the publisher now. I did, you know, suggest that idea during the process of writing it, because even without COVID, you know, so over it has closed their two locations. And, you know, I, even before that, you know what I mean? Like um, people move and change and whatnot. Um, so we talked about that briefly at the time. I don't know that I would do it again in the same way to answer your question question. I mean, I think it's a wonderful idea. I think a whole book could be updated um, with, you know, fr obviously fresh pictures with new products and all kinds of things like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would be happy to do it one day, but it's not something I'm pursuing right now or anything like that. And while you were visiting all of these shops, I mean, 45 plus craft shops of various sorts, 
did you um, learn things about what makes a shop a good shop? And like, were you able to kind of, I don't know, start to discern some um, some trends, some some through lines between the ones that seem like, you know, they were thriving or had built a really strong community and maybe some of the ones who, who weren't so much? Yeah, so at that time, I wasn't sort of thinking about my book in terms of a shop one day, but later on, it did help me immensely. My experience talking to shop owners, how they got started, um, you know, things that mean a lot to them about their shop and to their customers. Um, So I did learn a great deal. And in retrospect, it helped me significantly. I wasn't sort of sort of, you know, studying that at that time to help me later, but it definitely helped. And I did pick up on, you know, how important the social aspect of sewing was to the shop owners. I mean, not all of the shops featured in the book held classes. But the ones that did, to those shop owners, that seemed to be the most important aspect. The building community, learning from each other, teaching someone a new skill, and just the traditional methods of making something from scratch that's useful and beautiful. Um, So I definitely learned a lot from them and could see individually from certain people aspects that were very important to them. Yeah, I can see that community is really important and I think is a a big piece of making a shop come to life. And especially now with e-commerce, you know, where you're not going to win on inventory, you know, you have to have something else that you have to offer that's not just we have all the fabric lines because you're never going to have all of them and, you know, fat quarter shop or whatever is going to always beat you. Because they, you know, they have this huge, vast e-commerce site. So there's got to be something else about your shop that makes it special. And I think that element is community. Yeah, and I totally agree. Even from the very beginning of my shop, I did not want to be a fabric shop or a notions shop. I wanted to be a place that held classes, um, that had products that that supported the classes. So I always wanted to have quote unquote enough selection to make it um, useful to just be a one-stop shopping experience. Like, Oh, I would love to take this shirt class. Oh, that's great because we have these five fabrics that are perfect for your shirt. And then these tools that you'll need so that they didn't have to go somewhere else because it seemed a missed opportunity to send them to another fabric shop or to Amazon or whatever, if they were right there and you could capture their attention and also that sale. But at the same time, to be to your point, to be a small fabric shop is a bit baffling to some people and is something that I had to explain to customers sometimes, Um, you know, because if you have red, blue and pink, inevitably somebody wants yellow, purple and green. So it's hard to explain. We're not a mega fabric shop for this and that reason. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, um, But yeah, so um, we always wanted to have enough, but I never wanted to be uh, a fabric shop because to me, all those supplies are useful and needed to obviously make the thing. They're not the part to me that's super meaningful. The part to me that is super meaningful is someone learning a new skill they didn't learn before or somebody feeling empowered to sew something for their own body, their own shape, um, their own size that they didn't realize they could before. Um, And also seeing people learn from each other um, and gain experience from each other. So um, there's always going to be places that have the supplies and the fabrics. And I think e-commerce is very well suited to that. And then more, you know, experience based retail or learning is much better for, you know, an in-person experience. I read a wonderful book maybe more than a year ago, no, like two years ago called uh, Reengineering Retail. And the book is all about how we can buy pretty much everything under the sun nowadays online and that you have to give people a unique experience and reason to come out and sort of not just buy your product, but interact with it, learn something from it, do something with it. Um, and make it much more of an experience than just you buy the thing and you go home with your thing. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway, that's a wonderful book for anyone who's interested in um, retail at all, but especially experience-based retail, I think. 
That's great. I'm going to check. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to check it out. And so I know that you had a small selection, but it sounds like it was a carefully curated selection of goods. And I wondered how you were sourcing those. Were you going to Quilt Market or TNNA or H&H Cologne and looking at the trade shows? Or were you looking online? Were you looking on Etsy? Or how were you sort of just finding the items that you ended up deciding to buy? Well, I never went to a trade show. And if I had gone to a trade show, my first intention for going to a trade show would be to network and sort of get to know other people there more so than find new products, mainly because I feel like most of the fabrics that I would buy or, you know, like literal notions, the nuts and bolts of the things, many, you know, um, reps that I would deal with, you know, I know a lot of things come out at markets that people haven't seen yet and whatnot. But, you know, I would meet with them like other shop owners do and pick out those nuts and bolts types things, type things. But to me, the things that were the most exciting products were the ones that were the most unique. And those were things that people didn't, other people didn't necessarily have. Um, So I loved looking at Etsy and finding people who made unique handmade things and then sort of just reaching out to them and saying, hey, would you make some handmade ceramic buttons for us? Or could you make these other ceramic things? Do you think you could make buttons? Or there's this lovely woman who made um, ceramic uh, pin uh, pin cushions, these really cute lady head and men head pin cushions. And those are things that I knew you know, if I went to a trade show, 50 other shops are buying X, Y, and Z. I didn't really want to have quite as many things that everyone else had. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I would try to seek out those types of things to offer people things that were a little bit more unique. So I love looking at Etsy and just reaching out to people. I love going to markets, like handmade markets, and finding people who made unique handmade small crafted things and ask them, asking them, would you make a batch for me Um, or coming up with something unique? And then also, if I had had more of a budget for it, one thing I really wanted to do was partner with um, artists to make um, unique, exclusive fabrics for Top Stitch. And we we did do a few um, rounds of that, um, but not anything significantly enough to like fill all the shelves because it's very pricey to do small runs of... uh, you know, an exclusive fabric, but we did do that a few times. And I just love stuff like that because not only does it support this artist and their style and their art, it offers your customers something that not every single fabric shop has. And I think it's Um, also really lovely to do that with something um, that's related to your locale. So Georgia or Atlanta in your case, or for the, the shops that are in London, I think, you know, as a person traveling and, and loving crafting and visiting those shops, maybe only that one time, that's something that also people really enjoy collecting is that, you know, local product. Well, what about, can you tell me where you, um, where you printed when you worked with those um, designers to create the limited run fabrics? Did you use a specific printer? Because I think there's a lot of people out there who would love to do something like that, even if it's a little costly, um, but the small runs are always difficult to to know where to go. It's Hawthorne Supply in New York. Oh yes, and they and they have their their big um, you know fat regular fabric shop too, their online fabric shop. But they do do custom printing. Okay, great for smaller for for fifty yards and under. They will do custom printing, and they have the information on their website, and you can reach out to them for details on how to do that. Now, if you want less than that. Um, yeah, I, don't know I think 50 is good. Yeah. And I think, you know, I yeah. know Robert Kaufman will do that for you as well as will Timeless Treasures. So it's definitely right. something worth looking into. And I also think as digital fabric printing becomes more and more readily accessible, um, those smaller run, you know, um, lines are going to be easier for shops and for designers to create. Um, and even, you know, be able to price more affordably as, you know, as digital becomes more um, accessible to everybody. I want to take a minute now to talk with our sponsor, CNT Publishing, and with the acquisitions editor at CNT Publishing, Roxanne Serta. Hi, I'm Roxanne Serta, and I'm the acquisitions editor for CNT Publishing. 
And I hear that CNT is scouting out some new talent. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, we're always on the lookout for new talent, um, but I also just wanted to share that we're on the lookout for people who are doing something new, not just in the quilting and sewing space, but somebody who's maybe doing something really unique or fun or just doing something really well, maybe in a new way in the general crafting areas, anything that's kind of on trend. Crafting, as you know, is just taking off. Um, So anything home deck, general crafts, like my door is open. That's great. As well as quilting and sewing, of course. Right. Of course. Quilting and sewing is, has been uh, your mainstay for so long. So um, how does somebody kind of know if what they're doing is book worthy? You know, first of all, do you have an audience? Do you have a following? Are there people who are looking at what you're doing? So kind of take a look at your audience numbers. And then also, are you doing something that really could benefit from having more informational space so rather you know is there more information that you have than fits into a tutorial or a video you know if you've got more information than you really can fit in those spaces that's definitely book worthy okay and then what would be someone's first step so they're hearing this and they're like oh i do have something like that what should they do next um definitely reach out um On our homepage, it's ctpub.com. If you scroll all the way to the bottom, there'll be a link for book and product submissions. Um, That's just your first step. Click on that link. That page tells you a little bit about the process. Um, But there's a form on there that lets you fill out uh, a questionnaire, tells us about you, your idea, your audience, um, and then you email that directly to me. That's great. Well, thank you so much for telling us about this, Roxanne. It's such an exciting opportunity and writing a book is a major accomplishment and I know a goal of so many of our listeners. So I'm excited to share this with them. Absolutely. I'd love to see more people. Absolutely. The more, the better. I love craft books. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, CNT Publishing. And now back to my conversation with Lee. little bit about when you did move back to the United States after six years living in London with your husband. Um, How did you end up deciding it was time to open um, Top Shit Studio as a brick and mortar shop? Was that kind of the first thing that you wanted to do when you got back after learning about all of these shops? Or was there something else that motivated you just looking around in the area and not seeing what you wanted or something else? Well, when I got back, I definitely missed the the creativity of the fabric shops and um, just what London had to offer in the way of that type of thing. I mean, they had so many things that I missed, but that particular one related to me directly that I just really missed a modern um, sewing studio and fabric shop. I mean, there are places to learn to sew in Atlanta and there are kind of warehousey style fabric shops, but not anything like what I experienced there. Um, so I just kept sort of obsessing about how I missed it more so than that I wanted to do it. Um, and after obsessing for a few months and wishing someone else would open one, um, I thought maybe I could have like a little pop-up or something small um, where it's like quarterly or do something fun like that and rent a space, maybe partner with somebody. I mean, I had a few contacts here because I obviously lived here for quite a while and I love things like, um, the indie craft experience market. So I knew the women who ran it, um, just from having lived here and I used to make other handmade things. So I just had, you know, a relationship with them. So I reached out to them and a few other people, um, I'm friends with Melody Miller and was friends with her then. And I reached out to her and I said, do you think, and she is one of the founders of, you know, Ruby star society and um, whatnot. Anyway. um, So I reached out to them and asked if they thought Atlanta could use a modern fabric and sewing studio. And that was my market research. They both said yes. (laughs) And that's pretty much as far as I um, looked as far as market research was. Um, But as I was like making notes and brainstorming and thinking about this, a pop-up didn't really make sense because in order to actually have, you know, supplies, if you want to have fabric or notions, you have to meet minimums to get started, which are beyond pop-up level. 
So I just thought, well, maybe I could go all out and have a real small, a, a real sewing studio that's small and just see how that goes. Um, so I had no idea what I was doing and I was very, very nervous about this. Um, but I really just, I kind of just wrote everything down. I got it all out of my head. Um, I took a small business class online about how to write a business plan. I tinkered with spreadsheets. I talked to shop owners and that was the most, probably the most valuable thing I did was ask other shop owners, how did you get started? Where did you learn to buy things? How much money did you need? Um, did you need to start with a um, e-commerce shop when you opened the doors or could you do that later? How did you hire people? All of the things, all of the things. Um, some shop owners said, I'm happy to answer those questions for a consulting fee. Some actually said, I'd rather not answer any of your questions because I worked long and hard to figure this out on my own and it doesn't interest me to basically share my secrets. Um, but one particular shop owner, I'm not going to name her because she might get flooded with emails, but she sent me basically a, a guidebook. I mean, her email to me was just golden. So for anyone who's listening who may be nervous to start their own business, if you can find someone who has already done that thing, for me getting started, the most valuable thing was to, re to reach out to other people who have already done that. And she basically just gave me a, a checklist and guidelines for lots of stuff. And she didn't even ask me for a fee for this. She did it from the kindness of her heart, I guess. That's so generous. Um, yeah. And I, and I didn't know her either. Um, and I also love talking about this kind of stuff. And I answer questions that people have um, openly and freely because I know it's so hard to get started. Um, so basically, yeah. and I don't see us know, as being I don't see us as being in competition with each other. I, I think that, you know, especially among the shop owners who are members of Craft Industry Alliance, they really enjoy talking to each other and answering like the hard questions like, you know, how do you manage inventory? You know, so like, yeah. how do you know that you're spending the right amount and, and stocking the right amount that's not too much, that you're gonna have to put everything on sale to get rid of it, but it's not too little that people aren't going to come in because you don't have enough, you know, and they really I mean, that's a question that came up recently. And people are so generous. And and I think really feel like if, if I'm in Sacramento, and, and you're in Chicago, we're not actually competitors, we're peers, you know, exactly. Yes, I agree. And I, I mean, I feel like once you learn all of these things, and I'm no expert at all, but you kind of feel jazzed to share it with people. You feel very empowered that you freaking figured it out. <laughs> if you figured it out and you want to kind of shout it from the mountaintops, here's how to read a balance sheet or whatever. Um, um, but anyway, so I reached out to uh, shop owners and the, the one was golden. And then after that, I was like, yes, I have at least a starting point. Thank you so much. So I just um, took notes. I had spreadsheets. I, you know, brainstormed, asked questions. And then what really catapulted me was I was driving around my neighborhood. I wasn't quite ready to do anything yet. I was just sort of in planning mode still. But I was driving around my neighborhood and I saw this space for lease that was very close to my house, very close to my daughter's schools, as in a good neighborhoody type shop, a little bit of walking, like foot traffic kind of area. And I just reached out to the landlord and I said, um, you know, I was curious about your space. How much would you like to lease it for? He told me. He asked me what I had in mind for my shop. I told him. He liked the idea. And he said, you know, just email me your business plan and we'll go from there. And I was like, hmm, yeah, I don't have that. <laughs> so I Googled how to write a business plan. And I finished like this course online and part of it had how to write a business plan. I read a really boring book on how to write a business plan. And both of them said your business plan needs to have X, Y, and Z, and it needs to be at least 45 pages long. Blah, 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 blah. And it said all this stuff. And I was like, Oh my gosh, kill me now. <laughs> I really don't want to write any of this. Um, so I called the landlord and I was like, um, yes, I'm trying to write my business plan and I can't quite get it to max out at 45 pages and have blah, 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 blah. And he said, Oh my gosh, please do not hand me anything that is 45 pages. He said, I want to know three things. Did he say three things? I think he said three things. I want to know what you're selling. I want to know um, how much it's going to cost to start your shop. And I want to know how you're going to pay for it. That's all I want to know. <laughs> 
And I said, oh, thank you so much. So I sent him one page and I answered those questions. Yeah. And we have a, we have a one page like lean canvas template for business planning. And that's what I use yeah. with my business partner to start Craft Industry Alliance. And I had never written a business plan either. And let me tell you, one page where you're answering some really probing and interesting, frankly, questions is all you really need. I mean, it, it was really a great exercise. And what I would recommend that people try, but definitely don't get bogged down in, in the traditional, I think. Exactly. And also, like me, if I hadn't just called the landlord and asked him this, I would have sat there and tried to write 45 pages of nonsense. So to me, you know, if you're unsure or you're lost or confused or just, you know, just ask the landlord specifically, what do you want? Like if they say, I want a business plan, just ask them to be more specific. And they'll probably tell you something similar to what you just said. Can condense the most important aspects to a one page uh, document and um, go from there. He was happy with um, what I submitted. And um, so he was, you know, he basically said, you, you know, I accept your um, idea and I'm happy to lease this space to you. And can you move in by X date? Um, so at that point, I felt like, oh, this is getting real. And I was very nervous. So he said, you know, mull this over whatever five days you know, we'll chat again on Tuesday or something the next week. So I started thinking more seriously about this. And if I really wanted to commit to it, because it did obviously feel like such a huge commitment, you know, financially and my life and everything. I have two daughters at the time. The younger one was four and my older one was eight. So, you know, at that age with kids, you have a busy life, right? So um, I had to really consider if this is what I definitely wanted to do. Um, but after a few days, I um, got over my panic a bit with my husband's help. Um, you know, he said to me, I kept saying, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. I have, I'm going to have to do like 100 jobs I've never done before. And he said to me, nobody knows what they're doing until they just do it. You put one foot in front of the other and you ask for help from whoever that may be. And you just do the thing, right? <laughs> he also... Um, he likes to give me mountain metaphors. I'm laughing because it's funny to me. But um, he said, um, just like a mountain, if you look up, you're going to panic. If you look down, you're going to panic. You just put one step, in one step in front of the other with each task and move forward in that way. Um, so that's pretty much what I did. Because if I kind of looked at the whole picture of, you know, getting an e-commerce site running and insurance and taxes and accountant and the Blah, 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 the employees and all this stuff. I was like, ah, panic mode immediately set in. So I just sort of wrote a, a priority list of what order these things would have to be done, what they are and their order, and kind of went through them one at a time and tried not to let the whole picture swallow me whole. Um, but one thing I did that I felt was important for me at the time was I knew I did not want to teach, which might sound strange for a sewing studio owner not to want to teach. But I already knew in many ways I wanted to extract myself from being knee deep in my business um, because I had dabbled with some small businesses before where I got to the stage where you're so busy working on your business or whatever, in your business, you know what I'm trying to say. Yes. That you can't extract, that you can't extract yourself. Like right. you dug your own, you uh, dug your own trench <laughs> and you're stuck in it trying to crawl out of it. And I did not want to do that right from the outset. So I knew at the beginning I needed to hire, you know, X people for X, you know, jobs. And one of them needed to be to teach. And I just got really, really lucky with my employees. The first one was Brittany. Um, Brittany owns uh, a pattern company called Untitled Thoughts, and she was my first employee. I found her on Instagram. She was uh, going to have a pop-up for her line of clothing at a store near me, and I just thought her clothes were really beautiful. I liked her personality online, so I just reached out to her, and I said, you know, I know you have your own line of clothing, and um, your own business and whatnot, but do you have any interest in working at a sewing studio? I'm thinking of opening one. And she wrote me back right away. She thought it was like a great idea. Actually, I'm not 100% sure that's how it started with Brittany. But anyway, I did meet her on Instagram. 
And as soon as we met, I clicked with her and I thought she would be a wonderful fit. And she was. Um, she was so talented, is so talented at so many things. And she is a go-getter. She can tackle all the things or she's willing to. And when I hand her anything, she makes it her own and she always goes above and beyond whatever that thing is. Um, and I got lucky with all of my employees. I mean, I cannot believe how lucky I was. They were all, they all are so talented. Um, so I, if I hadn't had Brittany and a few other people at the start, I think it would have maybe quickly imploded, but it, it was like this magic dust that sort of worked at the beginning, I feel like. Yeah. And yeah. And so um, were there challenges of having a brick and mortar once you did get things up and running and had your employee or employees there with you? Um, were there things about it that I guess were unexpected as far as um, things that were challenging or maybe also things that were rewarding once you actually were, you know, past that first three month stage and were up and running? Um, I feel like the most rewarding thing was what is still the most rewarding thing. And that's, you know, when you see like genuine um, transformation, like empowerment in people when they learn a new skill and whatnot. So to me, it was like, I've made something real here. Like, this person, these people, you know, who are here right now, they did not know how to do, do this thing before they came. And now they do. And it sounds real basic, but it really felt like magic. And it still does. Um, but in that first little space, the one thing that was missing that I really wanted um, was like a cozy space to like socialize, to browse books, to be comfortable and like not rushed. And it was a tight, small space. Um, so it was sort of lacking a um, kind of social community space that I really wanted, which the second space did have, but it also had its own challenges. Um, but also in that first little space, although classes were busy and things were selling online, it didn't have a lot of foot traffic. So I feel like at the beginning, it was kind of missing the buzziness of getting attention. And although you know, my Instagram was growing and people may have been noticing on Facebook. I felt like we could have been doing more and capturing more attention if we were just literally in front of more people. But after being there one year, you know, even though classes were busy and uh, it was a wonderful little neighborhood place, I really wanted a lounge area and it was in the name to begin with. And some people think that means like a bar, but I meant literally a place to lounge and be comfortable. <laughs> um, a bar maybe one day in the shop. I know some sewing shops do have that. Um, but anyway, um, so I had my sites out for some other locations already after one year. And um, I did also have a clause in my lease that if I wanted to sublet, that I could get out of my lease in that way. So that's kind of important to point out. I just didn't skip out on my lease or um, anything like that. And that's kind of a maybe a good tip for anyone who might be opening a retail space. If you can encourage your landlord to add a subletting clause in case you do ever want to move or, you know, whatever, do whatever with your business, you have more flexibility. Anyway, so um, I had a friend who had a shop at Pont City Market, which is a kind of experience-based retail shopping center here. Um, it's a, it's a, a mall of sorts, but it's a kind of a modern, more fancy mall. Not really fancy, but it's a tourist destination, basically. If anyone listening is familiar with like Chelsea Market in New York or Giardelli Square in San Francisco, it's uh, same property um, development that was started um, Pont City Market. So that might paint a little bit of a picture but there's like a fun fair on the roof the food hall is really cool with great food um so it's a really nice place to shop and do fun things um so I reached out to a friend there and I asked her what it was like to be there I asked her if she thought leasing would be interested in my style of sewing studio and shop and she said she thought they might be interested and she put me in touch with leasing I talked to leasing they were curious and interested so they asked me to present them with a lookbook and financials and basically a packet to present to them. So I did that. And then they offered me a space. And again, it was one of those things where I was like, I cannot believe this. <laughs> but 
that I got so lucky because it is such a, like a remarkable retail space in this city. I was like, oh my gosh, this is kind of crazy town. But um, I decided to make that move. And right from the start, it was like um, foot traffic galore and, you know, people coming that were traveling and like just picking up something fun and cute quickly or, you know, saying they'd love to shop online once they get home. Um, so it was a wonderful space to be and it grew very fast and it just it got really busy. I mean, during the week, obviously, it was a little bit slower than weekends, but it was a very busy um, space. And it was a great place to be. We had, finally, I had my sitting area, my my little lounge. But the only problem with the lounge in this space was it was such a tourist destination that people would come in and just want to, like, plop down on the sofa and take selfies or, like, you know, people who weren't interested in what we had to sell. They just wanted, like, a place to sit. <laughs> so we kind of had to, like, cordon it off where it wasn't super social, even for, like, our um you know, our customers, unless it was sip and so, then we didn't have it sort of like cordoned off. But um, so for a few reasons, it still didn't work out the way I envisioned just mm-hmm. because the place was so touristy. Anyway, um, it, w- it was a great space. And so how long were you there before um, the pandemic hit? So we were there going on uh, two full years. And right before the pandemic hit, I was in talks with leasing because my lease was coming to an end in August 2020. So I had signed, it was like a two-year, it was a shorter lease for what would be considered a retail lease. Usually a retail lease would be three to five years. And then if you're like a mega shop, it might be like five, 10, 15 years um, um, for like big box retail. But um, so I was in talks with leasing about what to do next uh, for my space. And they were happy for me to stay there. And one thing I had in mind before talking to them was I really kind of wanted to change things quite a bit and have a small space potentially at Pont City Market that was like grab and go, quick, gifty things and drop in sewing, Um, just quick, fun, learn to sew something and go. Um, Because one challenge we had at Pont City Market was it was so touristy. People would walk in and they'd be like, oh, I want to do something now. I want to learn how to sew now. They'd be like, oh, well, this is a jeans making class. And, you know, if you haven't learned how to sew, blah, 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 then you need to learn how to. You know what I mean? All the steps. Right. right? Yeah. Uh, So so it wasn't. all, And we didn't have just all advanced classes, but we didn't have a lot for just the the quick stuff is what people wanted uh, something fun to do. So I had in mind like a small um, quick fun type space and then like a more serious workshop somewhere else. And when I say somewhere else, I mean either somewhere else in the building or like at a different property or in a different place altogether, just because our space was such a fishbowl with like ceiling, floor to ceiling windows. It was on a corner. People would stare through the windows. They'd take pictures, um, selfies in front of the window so it could be a bit distracting to students who are actually trying to learn something that's you know can be kind of intense right um so I was thinking of a different type of space also it's important to point out that even though we moved here and sales increased you know quite dramatically for anyone who's familiar with retail you may know that your operating expenses also create increase dramatically often when your sales increase right because The more you sell, the more you have to buy. The more you buy, the more you have to sell. And retail can inevitably, unintentionally sometimes, be quite a treadmill unless you really play your cards right, focus on the the pennies, the nuts and bolts of your statements and whatnot. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, So um, although it grew very fast, I knew that the key to the success of this business was in classes because classes – had the bulk of the more cushy profit, right? Um, You could build in more profit there than you could like a sewing pattern, for example. If I sell a sewing pattern for, you know, $18 and, or excuse me, if Susie Q Fabric Shop sells a sewing pattern for $18, if I'm selling it for 22, not only is that against some company's terms of agreement of like the increase of whatever the retail price is, 
but also there someone's going to go somewhere else to get it where it's cheaper, right? So you can only increase certain things by so much before it doesn't make sense anymore. Right. Um, or you're, you know, going against agreements or whatnot. But with classes, you know, that's a bit different. Um, so I knew that classes were kind of what helped float the ship mainly. And that's what I wanted to focus on because it was always what meant the most to me anyway. Right. Um, so, but the other challenge with classes is when you have a physical space, you only have so much room, right? Um, so that's another thing I learned uh, very quickly with my accountant is even if classes are full, um, you know, max capacity at X cost, you only go so high. This does not scale, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, she and I were talking about, and also with the Top Stitch crew, they also know this, um, that like a year into being at Punt City Market, we we talked about how something has to change a little bit. There really needs to be a scalable product or service to help this really soar. Otherwise, we just, you know, it's fine to be in the same place, I guess, if you want to be in the same place. But I wanted to go other places. Um, and I wanted us to go other places and have the budget to do more things, right? Um so basically all of these things are kind of happening in my mind and on paper at the same time in February of 2020. Like <laughs> me, talking to, me talking to leasing, thinking about having more classes, less products, a bigger space for more classes, a smaller space for less products. <laughs> and then um, people started calling early and uh, late February, early March. Oh, yes, I'd like to cancel my class because of the pandemic. I'm going to cancel my class. I'm like, oh, uh, mm-hmm. sorry, I was about that. I'm like, oh, no, we're heading in a bad direction here. Um, so and then, of course, when the pandemic hit, everything just kind of shut down, which, you know, that it was what it was. Right. But I was faced with a decision at that time. I mean, I had to let Pond City Market know what I'm going to do with my space. And for me, you know, it was a very hard decision to make. But it was really the only one that makes made sense to me at the time. They wanted me, if I was going to stay there, to sign a three to five year lease. And um, which is fine. That's normal. Um, But when classes are the bulk of your sales and what has the potential to help you grow in ways that you want to grow, uh, completely eliminating that for who knows how long. I don't know how long this pandemic will be. Nobody knew what was happening at the time. We were watching what was happening in Italy and it just seemed like the world is falling through the bottom. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And that was the time that I had to make a decision. And to me, it seemed like it would be financial suicide if I committed to a lease at that time. So in many ways, for me, it felt like I was at least grateful that I had an option. I had some other retail friends, you know, kind of in panic mode because they're whatever, two, three, five years in their lease. And like one of my friends, a neighbor, I don't even know if I should say this, but um, sold something that you have to buy in person. And you know, he was just like, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know what I mean? So yeah. at least there was an option there. And uh, I kind of saw it as like, um, I had to like amputate the arm to save the body type experience. Um, so it was painful. And I mean, I, even if, even if I had re-signed my lease, it would have been, you know, creeping along for some months, right? And I would have had to cut back on most of my staff anyway. So uh, I also just, you know, at that time, I remind myself that there are silver linings. And I was so impressed and inspired by so many things that businesses were doing to try to move their business online. And that's kind of when I started Top Stitch Makers, not even intentionally trying to completely transform my business at that time, but just to have something that can kind of float the ship maybe at the time. And so Top Uh, top Stitch Makers is a a membership. And um, can you just explain like briefly sort of what it is and and kind of how how it works from the consumer standpoint? Yeah. So it's a social community where we um, have live sew-alongs, live talks. We have live sip and sew. And when I say live, I mean, it's all online. It's, you know, it's not in person. Um, And to me, it's like an online social hub. And I think of it like a house. And Jordan, who does some lovely illustrations for Top Stitch, and she's done a lot of our artwork for all kinds of things. She made this wonderful illustration of a house 
with um, the um, like the embroidery room and the sew along room and the common room. And that's kind of how I think of it. Like anyone who is a member, you're in this wonderful social home together, um, learning skills together, learning from each other, um, bouncing ideas off of each other, sharing things, making things. Um, and I think of it sort of like in a contained way. And, you know, you have a membership community. So you know that when you kind of gather your community in one place, you can, you know, it's a way of learning similar things together that are wonderful. And you get to see how people grow and change and how it improves their lives and whatnot. Um, but one thing that I love about it that's very much different than an in-person experience or shop is we have members from all over the world. And when the pandemic hit, I was panicking, you know, about classes and we can't do our classes or whatever. But then when we moved things online and so many other sewing studios moved to doing virtual classes, you know, we were having people take classes from the UK and from Australia and all these countries. And it was like, oh, my gosh, this is so cool. Why aren't we doing this all along? Right. Um, and meeting people from so many different places that to me, I could immediately see how it could be a wonderful um, experience. But with Top Stitch Makers, I discovered Mighty Networks before I really realized what Top Stitch Makers would be. And I saw it as a unique and engaging place to host courses. You know, there's all kinds of platforms to host classes, right? Um, uh, teachable, I don't know, Thinkific, Kajabi, however you say that. There's all kinds of platforms where you can host courses. Um, but I was looking for one like right around when the pandemic hit to host ours. That wasn't a place that wasn't static where when you take the class, you can interact with your teacher in some way or get feedback from other students and whatnot. So it seemed like a really unique place to do that. But then once I created my own Mighty Network, I realized how much more it could be. And there are, like I said, there are lots of community platforms. But to me, this was the right one for me and it had everything I needed and nothing more. Um, and I think members really enjoy being in this space, but the way it works is, uh, to be part of the membership, just to be a member, it's $4.99 a month. And for that, you can come to any live social session. So we have like sip and sews, we have meet and greet nights. We've started doing like show off nights. Um, you can attend the live talks. Like we have, uh, live talks with a lot of notable people and those are recorded for re-listening to and, you know, watching, um, and then there's a second tier membership now if you want to attend the live sew alongs and it's $30 a month and we have at least four to six a month and it's anything from like we've done the poolside tote uh, tonight we're Chelsea's teaching the Stellan tea um, so it's all kinds of things we try to do one garment one accessory uh, something with knits so we try to have a variety each month and also a variety of um, skill levels and those are not recorded the intention is to do them live and to do them together. Um, we do repeat things. Um, so if you miss it because of your time zone or you just are busy or whatever, um, we do often repeat things. Um, we also have recorded courses other than the studio recorded courses. We have a few of those, but we started doing live courses where, um, you know, we have check-in session. We have a welcome session. We have check-in sessions. We have, and then the sewing sessions in between those. And those have all been live. Um, we're going to start to do kind of a mix of that where one course might have the sewing sessions that are recorded and then the live sessions are sort of social check-in, check progress, get help, answer question type sessions sprinkled in between. Um, so we do a handful of different things there. So that's basically what it is. <laughs> yeah. And it and, and for me, it um, solves the issue, which I was like turning over in my mind for a good year and a half, two years is how can we turn this wonderful experience of people learning a great skill that, you know, improves their lives and is interesting and fun and unique and all these things in a way that's scalable, that makes sense for business. Um, because like I was saying earlier with an in-person studio, you can only have so many uh, classes. You can only have so many tables. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it's very hard to scale. And in this business, so many people are doing, um, a lot of a variety of scalable things like um, maybe kits or, um, you know, things like that. But to me, to do something where it's social and you can learn from each other. And that's one of the most valuable things that I see 
in our community is people helping each other, talking to each other. Um, there's a feature within the network where you can find members near you. And I've learned that members have reached out to other members near them and they meet up and now they hang out that they can get out of their house. Um, so I think it's wonderful. And now that this is in place, you know, I have a number of customers asking, you know, when are you going to open back up? Are you looking for a space yet? All these things. And although I do look and I have been, look, I've never really stopped looking around at um, spaces and whatnot. I don't want to make any promises to anyone or like set a date or anything like that, because I would like for this to be more fleshed out and to be more of a sustaining aspect of the business before jumping back into retail again. And what role does your e-commerce shop play in conjunction with the community? So, um, or could it even play a, a bigger role in the future? So are people, for example, when you do a sew along for a specific pattern or, um, or something like that, do people, do you point people to say, well, buy the pattern and the notions and fabrics that you need from us? And, you know, here's a package we've put together and here's maybe a, you know, a discount on that package. So you just get everything in advance of your course or, um, or anything like that. Or, or do you have plans to do something like that in the future? I have done it before, and I'm a bit wishy-washy with that right now unintentionally, but um, it's mainly because um, it's hard to estimate numbers right now. I was offering kits for a number of our sew-alongs, um, but sometimes I would assume like X amount will probably sign up, so I'm going to order X amount. So it's hard to juggle how much I should order for what, do you know what I mean? Yeah. But, but long-term, that is my goal, to be able to have just like with class in-person classes before to have the supplies that support whatever we offer, because to me that makes the most sense rather than sending someone off to buy them other places. If we do have it in stock and it's something I can get easily, I'll put a link or something to our product or I might offer a kit. Um, and I feel like kits are especially helpful when there are so many pieces. Like we did the all well, um, uh, half moon bag and you know you've got the strap and the zipper and interfacing and all these things and sometimes people feel overwhelmed by all the little nuts and bolts of a project especially when if they have to buy it at multiple places and I love kits so I do think that makes the most sense and I would like to offer them more consistently in the future but right now it's a bit sporadic how we offer those yeah, I could definitely see those that working really, really nicely in conjunction um, with the membership. Um, and yeah. so, yeah, that's so interesting. And, and tell us a little bit about your background. Where did you did you grow up in the Atlanta area? And how did you learn how to sew? Um, I grew up here. I lived here most of my life. Um, my mom sewed all of my, you know, younger years when I was really little, she sewed all of our clothes, me and my sister, we had matching everything, the cutest dresses that were smocked and she had a smocking business and my mom loved to sew. Um, but as we got older, she sewed less. My mom was a single mom, most of our upbringing. And I imagine life just gets busy, right? And when you have two kids that you're, you know, raising pretty much on your own, I can understand how she uh, you know, stop doing that or whatever. But I didn't learn to sew until 2006 when I lived in San Francisco. So um, I think I was like 31 at the time. And so I was a bit of a late bloomer to sewing. <laughs> and I, um, I took my first class there because I felt so jazzed in San Francisco. Everyone was so creative. It felt like everyone was so creative there, doing the most unique and interesting things. And everybody was like making something, doing something starting a business. It was like, like creativity, that's like buzzing overload. And I just felt like I want to do something. <laughs> that sounds kind of goofy, but I'm like, I'm gonna learn how to sew. Um, so I took a class, I don't even remember where I took this class. And frankly, it was a very boring class. We learned to make a pillow, but it wasn't an actual functional pillow. <laughs> it was like the tiniest pillow, like it could fit in your hand. It was a really weird project to me to like a pillow that you actually stuff with stuffing. I'm like, okay. Anyway, so I learned to sew there and I did not feel very inspired by that class, but I did get a sewing machine and, um, started making like fun little things. And I love to make just like little fun stuff like zipper pouches or dolls or, um, a actual pillow, that type thing. Um, so I sewed little things, like that. And so it wasn't until we got to London in 2010, 11, 
that I learned to sew clothes. And that's when I felt much more jazzed about sewing in general. That really felt like magic, like sewing darts for the first time in a top or uh, making pants for the first time, that type of thing. Um, but that's how I learned to sew. And I learned to sew it, sew over it, mainly um, for clothes in London. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I'm so impressed with your just kind of ingenuity and um, kind of seeing an opportunity in the market and then deciding that you could fill it with what you have to bring. And I think that's just wonderful and and really inspiring to hear about, Um, whether it was writing your book or um, opening the brick and mortar and moving and then pivoting to creating an online membership community. So you've done so many things. And I I just really appreciate your willingness to share these stories with us, because there's so much to to learn and and draw out of them. Um, So thank you for that. And I want to make sure we get to your list. You have a few um, recommendations for everybody. And the first Mm -hmm. one is Crowdcast, which I've been looking at as well. It's not Zoom, but it's a, it's similar to Zoom in some ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, it's a webinar platform. And um, I think that aesthetically, it's just so nice to look at. It looks, for anyone who's not used Crowdcast, it looks very different than Zoom. It's much more clean and streamlined. I feel like, no offense to Zoom, I love Zoom too, but it looks a little bit like Zoom looks a little bit like Facebook, you know, in the early 2000s. And Crowdcast looks a little bit like, um, I don't know, modern 2021, what it probably should look like to me. Um, but it also has, um, uh, I, I just, I don't know. I just love the way that it looks. Now, it's not like uh, Zoom where you can have, um, uh, bup, 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 bup. you can't have more than six people in view is what I'm trying to say. So you can only have up to six people, quote unquote, what they call on stage on Crowdcast. Um, But Crowdcast is really cool because the main like Crowdcast website, you can go to all kinds of Crowdcast events. Like if you go to their homepage, you can learn about, I don't know, any. they have people just having talks about all kinds of things. So if you want to host your event on Crowdcast, you can make it public or private. You can make it paid. So it could be an additional channel, like if you want to sort of, be in front of new or different eyeballs uh, for your marketing, you know, strategy. I think Crowdcast is a unique and interesting place to maybe host a talk on whatever it is you do or a demo or something. Um, but I think it's just user friendly. Um, it, it looks really nice. It's it's uh, and it's just fun to participate in. I really like it. And you also wanted to recommend Clubhouse with the caveat that you're not totally sure you've made up your mind about it, but you're kind of intrigued by Clubhouse, which is this audio only social network that launched not too long ago. Yeah, it's audio only network, like Abby says, and um, you can pop into different rooms. But one thing I love about it, or the thing that I love most about it is the voyeur nature of it, right? Um, And the intimacy that's unique to audio only. Um, It's like, you know, when, when you don't have, when you have, when you have a barrier of, you know, not being able to see people or, you know, engage with them directly and you just hear them, like you're literally overhearing them. It's really intriguing to like, feel like you're a part of it, but also kind of on the outside of it at the same time. So it gives you that vibe where you can be a voyeur and you can participate also if you want, you know, in the rooms, depending on how the moderator has it set up. Um, but I just think it's cool and interesting. I'm just sort of all over the place in my mind with like how it can be used and how other people use it. And some rooms kind of seem like a scene and uh, it's just in my mind, that's why I'm saying I haven't quite figured out how I feel about it, but I am definitely intrigued. And there are people who have, you know, a lot of business related talks and topics, uh, that are interesting to listen to. You know, you can follow certain people, you can look for, you know, maybe authors who interest you, who, or, you know, craft leaders or whoever, um, and they might be hosting rooms on talks that interest you. So, and again, just like Crowdcast, it can be an additional outlet for, you know, your marketing outreach and whatnot, if you're looking to broaden your audience and whatnot. And the final one you wanted to recommend is Canva, which is for making graphics that you can use all over the place. Yes, I 
freaking love Canva. I mean, I could be a door-to-door salesman. (laughs) If you are like me and you do not have any graphic design skills, and I mean, I have tinkered with Photoshop. I've not really tinkered with Illustrator for graphic design purposes. Um, But it can be such a useful and wonderful and fun tool for graphic design. Like, you know, for any business, at some point you need to make postcards or brochures or you need to make a slideshow or whatever, you know, and all these things, you know, there are various tools to do these things, but I think Canva is the most fun and intuitive drag and drop graphic design tool for non-graphic designers, even graphic designers, the graphic designer that I work with, she uses Canva all the time and she loves it. And we'll like pop, you know, things back and forth to each other to tinker and talk about it. And that's another thing I like about it is, you know, you can engage with multiple people on the same art or whatever, Um, But yes, I love Canva. If you feel like you need graphic design for your business and maybe you feel like you can't afford a graphic designer or something like that to to start out with. I mean, if I had learned about Canva, if it had existed, I don't think it may. I guess it maybe it existed when I started my business. I would have just been over the moon. I think it's wonderful. Well, Lee, these are amazing recommendations. And I just wanted to thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I really love talking with you. Oh, thank you so much. I loved being here. Thank you for having me. I feel like it's an honor to be on your podcast. Oh, (laughs) thank you. And you've been listening to the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today's episode was brought to you by C&T Publishing. C&T Publishing has a bit of everything for every maker. Quilting, sewing, cosplay, embroidery books and products, and so much more. On their podcast, Behind the Seams, CNT brings on their world-class authors who share their creative journeys and crafty tips and tricks to inspire. Explore CNT Publishing and their podcast by visiting online at ctpub.com. Take 25% off anything you fancy using the code CRAFTY25. Thank you so much, CNT Publishing. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals. When you become a member of Craft Industry Alliance, you get in-depth coverage of craft industry news, the opportunity to connect with fellow professionals for advice and support, and access to an educational library filled with ideas, tools, and resources to help you as you build your business. Join us at craftindustryalliance.org. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.